Episode 96, Intro to the Devout Life. Now, I really should call this Intro to the Intro to the Devout Life, because as you might know, Introduction to the Devout Life is a book by St. Francis de Sales, whose feast we celebrated just a couple days ago, which made me think to do this episode on this great work of his, which is a very accessible, helpful, wise roadmap for how to be not just a good disciple, but a devout disciple, a devout follower of Christ. And we kind of know what devotion means generally. We talk about, say, a devoted spouse, a devoted husband or a devoted wife. It means not just that they love their spouse, but that they actually show great concern to do everything they can to help their spouse, to make them as happy as possible, that they're very ready and quick and solicitous to do whatever their spouse needs and to show their love. And that's what devotion is. St. Thomas Aquinas says it's that virtue by which we act promptly and diligently and readily in the things of God. Not just that we have the life of grace in our soul, but we actually are very, say, energetic and diligent in doing things in the service of God. You would call someone who, you know, says their daily prayers and makes sure they get to Mass on Sundays, you'd call them a faithful Catholic But someone who does those same things with great promptness and they're very diligent about it and they're very happy to give themselves to the things of God, that person you would say is a devout Catholic. And that's the difference here. That we're not just called to be faithful, we are called to be that of course, but we're called to be devout. And devotion doesn't necessarily mean that you always get great joy out of doing it. It just means that your will is always ready, is ever ready to promptly do what God wills, whether it's fulfilling the commandments, giving yourself to prayer, or whatever the Holy Spirit might be inclining you to do, calling you to do at any given moment in your life. We call that promptness and readiness, devotion. So this episode will basically be an introduction or an outline or a summary of St. Francis de Sales' work, Introduction to the Devout Life, which I recommend that you get and read in full because it is a good, like I said, roadmap for all Christians in any vocation, whether it's within marriage or priests and religious or chaste single life. It gives a roadmap for how we acquire this virtue, which is necessary for Christians, not only to sustain practice of their faith, but also to grow in the degree of union with God. So I'll start first just by reading a little bit from St. Francis's words on what is devotion. He says, quote, in short, Devotion is simply a spiritual activity and liveliness by means of which divine love works in us and causes us to work briskly and lovingly. And just as charity leads us to a general practice of all God's commandments, so devotion leads us to practice them readily and diligently. And therefore we cannot call him who neglects to observe all God's commandments, either good or devout, because in order to be good, a man must be filled with love, and to be devout, he must further be very ready and apt to perform the deeds of love. And forasmuch as devotion consists in a high degree of real love, it not only makes us ready, active, and diligent in following all God's commands, but it also excites us to be ready and loving in performing as many good works as possible, even such as are not enjoined upon us. So think about what I said with calling a spouse devoted. A devoted spouse is not someone that just, you know, shows a basic amount of love, but actually goes over and above expectations to show, to express the love they have for the other. They're especially selfless. They're especially solicitous to do the things that would be pleasing to their spouse. That's what the distinction is between a spouse and a devoted spouse. Same here, that as he says, we not only love God, but we do promptly and readily the things of love and not just following his commands, but also doing as many good works as possible, even those that aren't strictly commanded 
He continues, quote, Even as a man just recovering from illness walks only so far as he is obliged to go with a slow and weary step, so the converted sinner journeys along as far as God commands him, but slowly and wearily, until he attains a true spirit of devotion. And then, like a sound man, he not only gets along, but he runs and leaps in the way of God's commands, and hastens gladly along the paths of heavenly counsels and inspirations. End quote. So this journey to devotion is really the story of every Christian life. From the moment we first turn away from a life of sin, or are trying to turn away from a life of sin, we're likely only just going to do those things that are very basic, you know, avoid grave sin, but we might still be attached to certain other smaller sins. So we're very slow and kind of lethargic in following God's commands, we're just beginning. But the more we advance along that path, the more we grow in devotion. We're not just grudgingly avoiding sin, we're actually happily and joyfully running to virtue and holiness. And he concludes on this point, quote, the difference between love and devotion is just that which exists between fire and flame, love being a spiritual fire which becomes devotion when it is fanned into a flame. And what devotion adds to the fire of love is that flame which makes it eager, energetic, and diligent, not merely in obeying God's commandments, but in fulfilling his divine counsels and inspirations." End quote. The next very wise counsel he gives is that our practice of devotion must be in accord with our vocation. So what devotion looks like to a husband and father is going to be different than what devotion, at least different in certain aspects, than what devotion looks like to a religious or a priest. Our devout life needs to, needs to be integrated with our vocation. Everyone has a universal call to holiness, but each individual has a particular vocation in life, a different state in life, and their way to pursue holiness and devotion needs to be in accord with that. So he says, quote, when God created the world, he commanded each tree to bear fruit after its kind. And even so, he bids Christians, the living trees of his church, to bring forth fruits of devotion, each one according to his kind and vocation. A different exercise of devotion is required of each, the noble, the artisan, the servant, the prince, the maiden, and the wife. And furthermore, such practice must be modified according to the strength, the calling, and the duties of the individual." End quote. So not only according to your state in life, but also your work and your spiritual strength and your temperament. All of these need to be taken into account with how you practice devotion. He continues, quote, I ask you, would it be fitting that a bishop should seek to lead the solitary life of a Carthusian monk? Or if the father of the family were as regardless in making provision for the future as a Capuchin friar? If the artisan spent the day in a church like a religious? If the religious involved himself in all manner of business on his neighbor's behalf as a bishop is called upon to do? Would not such a devotion be ridiculous, ill-regulated, and intolerable? End quote. So again, very wise, practical counsel here. One thing you'll see with all the saints is that they're very practical. They're lofty in their holiness, but they know how to apply these lofty principles of seeking holiness to everyday life. So in discerning how to live the devout life, you need to take counsel with someone who is wise in this. It's important to have a spiritual director to say, hey, I'm a father, hey, I'm a mother and a wife, or hey, I'm a, a young single man or a, a woman who's, who's discerning their vocation. How does someone like me in my particular state practice devotion? That's something you really want guidance on. His book then continues with the steps in the devout life. And the first step, of course, is to purify the soul. You know, before you make great strides in holiness, you need to remove all the impediments, all the dirt that's accumulated because of sin and vice. So he says, quote, 
The soul which aims at the dignity of becoming the spouse of Christ must put off the old man and put on the new man, forsaking sin. It must pare and shave away every impediment which can hinder the love of God. The very first step towards spiritual health is to be purged from all our sinful humors. St. Paul received perfect purification instantaneously, and similarly with St. Magdalene, St. Catherine of Genoa, St. Pelagia, and some others. But this kind of purgation is as miraculous and extraordinary in grace as the resurrection of the dead in nature, nor dare we venture to aspire to it. The ordinary purification, whether of body or soul, is only accomplished by slow degrees, step by step, gradually and painfully. We must need to be brave and patient in this undertaking. It is a woeful thing to see souls beginning to chafe and grow disheartened because they find themselves still subject to imperfection after having made some attempt at leading a devout life. End quote. So he's saying, yes, you have examples of people that achieve this great sanctity and purification immediately, but that is uh, rare and it's the exception. But for most of us, it's something that's very slow, it's very painful, and he says we shouldn't get disillusioned and disheartened because this is just how it goes. It's how it goes with anything. If you're trying to fix, purify, renovate, restore something, it's usually done by small steps and with great attention to detail, and it takes a lot of perseverance. And he says that there's two mistakes you can make in this stage. It's one, getting too disheartened at your lack of progress, and two, assuming that just after a little effort you have already purified yourself and you get a little presumptuous. Uh, both of those are very dangerous. It needs to be patient and prayerful and always uh, done with humility and at the same time with great hope in God's gift of grace that he promises to those who are seeking him. Within this purification stage, the first thing you need to do, obviously, is to be purified from mortal sin. And the best way to do that is to make a good examination of conscience and to go to confession. I did an episode on how to make a good confession. I encourage you to go listen to that. And also as remote preparation for that to always do a, a daily examination of conscience to see, are there any serious sins that I commit? And if so, I need to confess them, but not only confess them, but also figure out how do I change my daily life, my routine and my habits so as to avoid that sin in the future. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to stop sinning. The preparation, the fix is prior to that. Because there are certain things we do that lead us to sin. We don't just pop into mortal sin out of nothing. We are led there because of certain dispositions, certain circumstances, maybe people or forms of entertainment, stuff like that. So we not only need to root out our attachment to mortal sin, but also root out everything that has led us to that. And that requires honesty and introspection and humility. And along these lines, he says, not only purifying ourselves from mortal sin, but purifying ourselves from all sinful affections. He says, quote, Be sure that if you seek to lead a devout life, you must not merely forsake sin, but you must further cleanse your heart from all affections pertaining to sin. For to say nothing of the danger of a relapse, these wretched affections will perpetually enfeeble your mind and clog it, so that you will be unable to be diligent, ready, and frequent in good works, wherein lies the very essence of all true devotion. Souls which, in spite of having forsaken sin, yet retain such likings and longings, remind us of those persons who, without being actually ill, are pale and sickly, languid in all they do, eating without appetite, sleeping without refreshment, laughing without mirth, dragging themselves about rather than walking briskly. Such souls, as I have described, lose all of the grace of their good deeds, which are probably few and feeble, through their spiritual languor." End quote. So again, if we stop a sinful habit, but still kind of cling to the pleasure that we had from it or that we lament that we lost this sin, of course we're not going to be devout. Of course we're not going to be ready and prompt and diligent in doing the things of God because we're still kind of clinging on to sin. And there's no room in our heart for God's grace if we're clinging to 
things that are opposed to him. Even if we're not doing them anymore, but still thinking about them and fondly recalling sin. And he has a series of 10 meditations on how to purify ourselves of these affections for sin. And I'll just read excerpts from a few of them, um, but I encourage you to read them in full. In his fourth meditation, he says, quote, Consider how long it is since you first began to commit sin, and how since that first beginning sin has multiplied in your heart, how every day is added to the number of your sins against God, against yourself, and against your neighbor, by deed, word, thought, and desire. Consider your evil tendencies and how far you have followed them. These two points will show you that your sins are more in number than the hairs of your head or the sand of the seashore. Apart from sin, consider your ingratitude towards God, which is in itself a sin enfolding all the others and adding to their enormity. Consider the gifts which God has given you and which you have turned against the giver, especially the inspirations you have neglected and the promptings to good which you have frustrated. Review the many sacraments you have received and see where are their fruits. Where are the precious jewels wherewith your heavenly bridegroom decked you? With what preparation have you received them? Reflect upon the ingratitude with which, while God sought to save you, you have fled from him and rushed upon destruction. End quote. So these meditations are kind of harsh, and you'll see that in the, in the ones I'm, I'm going to read here in a second. That's the point. It's, it's to unmask what sin is. Sin always cloaks itself in good, and these meditations are to tear away that mask, that cloak, to show how unjust and how offensive sin actually is. So this is all in order to give us a great distaste of sin, to not just refrain from sin, but to actually run away from it because we recognize it as something ugly. In his uh, fifth meditation, he says, quote, Consider the uncertainty as to the day of your death. One day your soul will quit this body. Will it be in summer or winter, in town or country, by day or night? Will it be suddenly or with warning? Will it be to sickness or an accident? Will you have time to make your last confession or not? Will your confessor or spiritual father be at hand or will he not? Alas, of all these things, we know absolutely nothing. All that we do know is that die we shall, and for the most part, sooner than we expect. Consider that, then the world is at end as far as you are concerned. There will be no more of it for you. It will be altogether overthrown for you, since all pleasures, vanities, worldly joys, empty delights will be as mere fantastic vision to you. Woe is me for what mere trifles and unrealities I have ventured to offend my God. Then you will see that what we preferred to him was not. But on the other hand, all devotion and good works will then seem so precious and so sweet. Why did I not tread that pleasant path? Then what you thought to be little sins will look like huge mountains, and your devotion will be will seem but a very little thing. End quote. So he's kind of trying to show how fleeting sins are, how fleeting the pleasure of sin is, but how lasting acts of true devotion are, and that when we're faced with the account of our life, we'll see that disparity and we'll kick ourselves for having gone more in the path of the pleasures of this world rather than the true joy that comes from true devotion. And also putting death before our eyes. It's one of the more effective spiritual tools we can use to help us avoid sin and cling to God and to the sacraments that we don't know when we're going to die. And once we die, our soul is as it was at the moment we died. And it will be like that for all eternity, at least in the sense of being turned against God definitively or embracing God definitively. Of course, our soul will undergo purification and purgation if necessary. But if we leave this world without the life of grace in our soul, then that is how we will be for all eternity. As I said, he has 10 meditations on purification, and he goes on after that to describe how to make a general confession that is a, con a confession of your whole life, and then talking about pur purifying ourselves of even tendency to venial sin. The second part of his book is counsels on how to pray and the necessity of the sacraments. 
Then he goes on to talk about how to increase in humility and, and purity, what are good friendships and evil friendships, on solitude, being modest, avoiding hasty judgment, not slandering, etc. So the whole thing is a, a very helpful guide on purifying our soul first and then progress in the practice of prayer and virtue. And it's all written in a very accessible way. And it's not just made for theologians or for religious, but for all people, because we're all called to holiness and we all need practical advice, practical counsels in achieving holiness. It's not some abstract thing. Holiness comes from the way we act and speak and think in our daily life. And so we need real practical advice. And this is one of the best books to give you that. Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales.